0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, before we receive the Lord's body and blood in the sacrament of the altar, we must examine ourselves. That's what God says through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, and this is a strict and serious word of God, you must examine yourself. So before we consider what it means to examine ourselves, we need to first consider why we would even need to examine ourselves. God tells us to examine ourselves because we're not eating just bread and wine. If the Lord's Supper were only bread and wine, then what's the danger? What can bread and wine do? How can you eat bread and wine in a wrong way? Uh, Listen to how the scriptures speak in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, "Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord." So how could this be if bread and wine is just bread and wine? Then how in the world could it be that eating it in an unworthy manner in the wrong way makes you guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord? If the body and the blood of the Lord are not really in the Lord's supper, then how can you sin against what is not actually there? Well, you can't. And this is the point that Paul is driving home here. You need to examine yourself before receiving the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is not just bread and wine. It is the very body and blood of the Lord. And so if you receive the body and the blood of the Lord through the bread and the wine in an unworthy manner, you're not sinning against bread and wine, those elements, but you are sinning against the body and blood of Christ. The Lord is truly present in his supper, just as he said he would be. The Lord's supper is not just a memorial meal or a symbol of Jesus. No, the Lord tells us himself what it is. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, This is my body. Now, which body is he talking about? He has one body. The body he means here, he goes on to say, is my body which is given for you. And he does the same thing with the wine. He says, This is my blood. Which blood? My blood which is poured out for you. Since the Lord himself is completely present in his body and his blood, the Lord's Supper is powerful. It's not empty. Or hollow. It's not just a symbol or a sign. Jesus himself is present. And this is a warning to those who think lightly of the Lord's Supper or who view this bread like any other bread or this wine like any other drink. In fact, that is the context of 1 Corinthians 11. Paul is very upset with the church in Corinth. Because back in verse 20, Paul says, When you, the Corinthians, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? That's what Paul writes. Here, Paul is rebuking the Corinthians because they treated this bread like any other bread. They didn't discern that Christ was present here. They weren't regarding the wine as the blood of Christ. They would drink it and they would get drunk. Paul is reprimanding the Corinthians, because they believed and behaved as if this were simply bread and wine to get full on and drunk off of. It's not just bread and wine. It's the body and blood of Christ. It is powerful. God himself is present in a way that he is not present anywhere else in all of creation. He has bound himself to his promise to be there for us. And this is why we practice closed communion. Closed communion means that the door to the Lord's Supper is closed to those who don't know what they are taking, those who think that it is just bread and wine, those who are impenitent either in their doctrine or their life. We should not give the Lord's Supper to people that it will harm. So think about it. Here's an analogy. We put medicine cabinets high and away— so children won't get to them. And every single bottle has a child safety lock so that the bottle of pills remains closed to children who don't know what's in the bottle. A child doesn't know if he's eating M&Ms or Advil, right? Now, we do. the, The reason why we go through these great lengths to keep medicine away from children is not because we hate our children, not because we don't love them, In fact, we do this precisely because we love them. We keep those bottles closed and away from them because that medicine is powerful. It does stuff to your body. It changes you, your mind, your body, your heart. There are chemicals that can heal you. And there are chemicals, if taken the wrong way, that can harm you, depending on who takes it and how they take it. If you take that medicine according to the prescription, one pill a day or whatever it reads, then it's going to be good for you. It will be for your benefit. But if you take that medicine against the prescription, if, if that was not prescribed to you, for you, for, for, your, uh, uh, for your situation, if you take three pills at once or whatever, then it's going to harm you. It's detrimental. What could have been a good thing for you, taken rightly, is now bad. Okay, so the reason we are so careful with medicine is precisely because we believe that it is powerful, and it actually is. So, what does this tell you about those who are so careless with the Lord's Supper? What about pastors who practice open communion, who give the Lord's Supper to anyone, even strangers, people they don't know? Well, it's because they don't really believe that the Lord's Supper is. Is powerful. They don't believe that Jesus is really present. They take the warning labels of the FDA more seriously than they take the warning from God's word. God himself says it. He says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. There it is in 1 Corinthians 11. How in the world can just bread and wine do this? It can't. It sounds like something more is going on here. God gives these strict words here. You drink judgment on yourself, and there are consequences. Many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. That's not just bread and wine, right? It's precisely because Jesus is truly present in the Lord's Supper that the Bible then says this, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is the instruction, the prescription, to receive it rightly. To receive the Lord's Supper worthily and for your benefit. You must examine yourself. You must be repentant. There is a cognitive prerequisite to receiving the Lord's Supper. This is the reason we will baptize infants, but we will not commune infants. Because infants cannot examine themselves in the way that St. Paul here requires. Now, an infant can repent and receive the gift of faith and the forgiveness of sins from the Lord. Yes, this is true, and that's why we baptize infants. But the Lord's Supper is different than baptism. An infant cannot examine himself. So, what does it mean to examine yourself? Well, we see what the Bible says. And what does the Bible say? Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 says, Why should any mortal man complain in view of his sins? Let us examine and test our ways and turn back to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 13 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Galatians chapter 6 verse 4 says, Let each person examine his own work. So, What does it mean to examine yourself? Put these all together. It means that you view yourself and your sins rightly, not excusing them. Not making defenses or justification for your sins, but repenting of them, turning back to the Lord. It means to consider whether the things you believe about God are actually in the Bible, or if those are things that you made up, opinions that you have about God, things that somebody else told you instead of what the Bible says. That's what it means to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And it means to look at your own behavior and your works. That's what it means to examine yourself. Examine your repentance, your faith, your works. And if you don't do this honestly, then you will receive the Lord's Supper to your detriment. It will be harmful. And so this is where the pastor comes in. When a pastor sees that you are not examining yourself rightly, He is, it is his duty. He is to step in and out of love for you, help you do that. If he sees that you're living your life contrary to God's word, then he says, wait, 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 hold on a minute. I'm going to withhold the Lord's Supper from you until you mend your ways. I don't want you to receive this to your harm. When a pastor sees that you're refusing to acknowledge or admit or confess or repent of your own sin... Then the pastor says, hold on, let's slow down here. You know the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So on account of that, I'm going to withhold this from you because I love you and I don't want you to eat this to your own judgment. When a pastor sees someone who is publicly confessing a faith contrary to the word of God, he does the same thing. He says, let's hold off on this. Let me show you what God says and examine yourself rightly to see if you're saying the same thing that God says or if you're departing from that word. The pastor does this out of love and he is a steward of the mystery of God. So do you see now how closed communion is a loving thing? withholding the Lord's Supper from people who will be receiving it to their own harm and detriment is in fact a loving thing. It's like a child who wanders over to the medicine cabinet and wants to eat all of the pills and then the parent comes and knocks the bottle and the pills out of their their child's hand. What are they doing? They're doing a loving thing. Would you say that the loving thing to do would be to give your child this medicine that may kill them, that may injure them? Of course not. The same goes for the Lord's Supper. When a pastor withholds the Lord's Supper from someone, when he withholds it from you, it's because you have a pastor who truly believes what the Bible says and a pastor who truly loves you and cares for you. And I know The unbelievers and heathens will say that a pastor is unloving and unwelcoming. And when the pastor withholds the Lord's Supper from someone, those people tend to get very angry at the pastor, go around and spread rumors and gossip about how he's unloving, how terrible he is, how intolerant he is. It's like a child throwing a tantrum because his father told him no to stop doing something that was going to harm him. But that's what happens. Oftentimes, the most loving things a pastor can do are maligned and derided. But for you, dear saints, you should receive this discipline with joy, knowing that you have a pastor who is wanting to protect you from harm. You have a pastor who wants you to judge yourself rightly so that you will not receive the judgment and chastisement of God. All right. Now, a word of comfort for you. When you do repent of your sin, when you judge yourself rightly, when you discern the body of Christ in the Lord's Supper, you see how unworthy you are to receive it, right? When you consider how sinful you are, how many times you've failed in the faith, how, m- how many times you've uh, let down and disappointed the Lord, and how precious a gift the gift of communion is. You're tempted to despair. And you should. You should despair. But you should despair of yourself. You should give up all hope and stop trying to make yourself worthy to God. You should despair of yourself, your good works, and everything that you can do. But whatever you do, Don't you for a second despair that Christ has forgiven you all of your sins, and don't you despair that God will save you. And this is the great mystery. If you feel that you are worthy enough, good enough, holy enough to receive the Lord's Supper, then in fact, you are not worthy to receive it. But if you know that you are unworthy and you confess that unworthiness, that you are unworthy to receive the Lord's Supper, that even on your best day you're not to receive it, then, dear saints, then you are worthy to receive it. And the reason is because God does not come to forgive the sins of those who are righteous or who believe they are righteous but he comes to forgive the sins of those who confess their unrighteousness to him, who know their failure, who know that they need his mercy and help and that he is everything to them. Finally, take heart in all of this. Jesus has won the forgiveness for all of your sins. This means there is not one sin that you have ever done, that you are doing now, or you will do, that will ever take him by surprise? There's not one thing that the Lord has not seen. Do you think that Any one of your sins are are, are so revolutionary, so innovative, so shocking and surprising to the Lord that he didn't account for it, that he didn't plan for it or see it coming? Do you think that there's any sin that is so unusual and strange that Jesus doesn't know what to do with them? Do you think so highly of your sin that you think God has not forgiven it or that he cannot? Do you think so lowly of Christ that there is something that his suffering and his death on the cross cannot forgive. It's nonsense. Your sins are forgiven. Repent and trust in his blood. He died. He died for you so that you might have life, so that you would have peace, so that you would not have to muster up one drop of sweat to win God's favor. Jesus did it all. What he achieved on the cross, you receive here in the Lord's Supper. That same body that died is given here for you. That same blood that was spilled is brought to you in this cup. So eat and drink. This is for the forgiveness of your sins.